At Aplan Rural, we can offer insurance tailored to the rural, personal and commercial requirements of the farming community. Aplan Rural, taking care of your farm. Authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host, FG's news and business reporter, Hannah Binns. Don't forget, we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday. Just make sure you're subscribed on your favourite platform. There has been a rumbling crisis within the UK pig sector for many months, which has led to the world's first cull of healthy pigs. Kate Morgan, a Yorkshire pig farmer and co-founder of campaign Save British Bacon, joins me to discuss what action is needed to address this shocking situation. But first... I caught up with Richard Stanford, the new Chief Executive of the Forestry Commission, about their new campaign, Put Down Roots. It looks at the England Woodland Creation offer and highlights how farmers and landowners can reap financial and environmental rewards. To kick off, Richard, um, is it possible that you could tell me a bit about your background and how you've kind of got into this role with the Forestry Commission? Yeah, of course. Uh, I've just uh, left the military and so come across the Forestry Commission, which there's probably a lot of people who've got a furrowed brow, what on earth am I doing from the military into the Forest Commission? Well, in a funny sort of way, it's almost going back to my roots. I was born and bred on a farm in the countryside, uh, lived on a farm till I was 18 and joined the army. Um, And then through the military, I've been involved in some conservation projects and uh, various other things. So I've kept in touch to a degree. Um, And my parents were involved, obviously, with farming and family. And actually, they ended up setting up a charity to educate people about the countryside farming so it's always been there um, in the background of what I've done and so it's a really nice full circle if you like to come back to the land. Mm -hmm. And what do you hope to bring to the role during your time? I'm very realistic that I'm not a forester and although I as a young age born and bred on a farm I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination but what I do have is a a lot of experience of organisational change, uh, developing teams and Mm -hmm. frankly facing some pretty challenging targets and challenging situations and and working with a whole raft of people to achieve results and so I think that's what my skills are and that's what I can bring to the Forest Commission. Mm -hmm. And what kind of things does your role involve? What are you getting up to day to day? Well learning Uh, and every day is learning and been in now for about five months and I've spent a lot of time to try and understand what we do as, a, as an organisation. And I think you probably know we've got three parts to it. So significant land management, the largest landholder in England uh, and by, by a bit of a margin, but the largest uh, forestry and woodland manager by a very big margin. And so going around and seeing what Forestry England do, the whole gamut of from timber production to recreation to uh, environmental and SSSI management and wildlife reintroductions is amazing. You then got the forest research bit covering uh, GB and some amazing scientists doing everything from social science through to cloning disease res- resistant ash trees and finding ways to, to tackle the diseases that are coming over. And then forest services, the people who are actually out there with the landowners to try and uh, help achieve the targets of, of growing more trees in, in Britain. And then, of course, there's a bit the interaction with, with DEFRA and how we develop those policies and those grant schemes, et cetera, to achieve those aims to, to meet both climate change and biodiversity. And, and we keep banging the drum as well that those are really important. 
but also so is timber and we import 80% of our timber and timber products, second biggest in the world. Uh, and I find, I have to say, I didn't know that before I came here. I didn't. Uh, and it's pretty shocking. And the other statistic, which is probably worth um, just putting in the back of your mind, uh, 800 to 1,000 loo rolls is a tree. Oh, wow. So, so when you know, everyone's we'll rooted out there. buying all the loo rolls. Yeah, quite, quite. <laughs> yeah. No, that's really interesting. And in terms of, you mentioned the work with DEFRA, um, I'm aware that you've got this Put Roots Down campaign. Um, could you tell farmers listening a bit more about what this campaign is and what you're hoping to achieve? Yes, of course. And really what we're trying to do from the Forest Commission and the government and, and frankly society, we need more trees. There's no debate about that whatsoever. And we've got to have trees um, in all sorts of situations. So in urban areas and, and, and local authorities in urban areas are doing that. What we're talking here, England Woodland Creation Officer. This is landowners, land managers changing the use of land uh, to take that marginal agriculture and planting trees and growing trees. And that's really what we're trying to encourage. The government has set us some really challenging targets. And this is a scheme that says we've got 60% of our food coming from 33% of our land. We know that 30% of our land is only producing 15% of our food. So we know there's marginal agriculture out there where actually it may be better off to grow trees. Now, we're not telling people you must, but when you look at some of the grants that are available to landowners, they are very generous. And mm -hmm. actually, I hope that will make people stop and think when they look at the baseline, the bottom line of their business, trees, woods, forests are an area where we've got some generous grants, uh, where we've got some really interesting, exciting opportunities for the future. And actually, it should be part of the business plan for any landowner. Mm -hmm. And in terms of how does this campaign link to the um, England Woodland Creation offer? How does it? It, 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 it Basically, it is promoting the England Woodland Creation offer. Mm -hmm. offer. Yeah. Um, and so what we're doing is trying to um, identify and highlight the benefits of what the UK, England Wood Creation Officer, has and delivers for all, all farmers, all landowners. And, you know, it's pretty generous. We're doing £8,000 per hectare, £8,500 per hectare for the, the initial setup costs. Uh, there's more than for additionality. Um, so riverine, public access, etc. All, all of those are benefits that people can get. Um, as appropriate, and those can add up to uh, another £8,000 per hectare, and there's £300 per hectare for 10 years for maintenance. So mm -hmm. this is pretty generous, and those who've been in the industry for a long time tell me that actually it's probably the most generous offer we've had for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And am I right in thinking that the offer started last year? It was something that kick-started last year? It did. It started in June, so we're only six months into this, um, mm -hmm. and it, it's going going well. We inevitably, with any new program, anything like this, uh, we've had to step up. We had to get more staff. But yeah, it's so it's a, a new scheme, and we are tweaking it, developing it, and taking feedback as we go along to try and make sure that we can really streamline this, and we can understand uh, where to plant, how to plant, and how we can work with land managers. Mm -hmm. And how many farmers have taken part to date? Do you know? We're on track to about do about 1,800 um, hectares this year from UK. As I say, it's, we're only six months into this. Kicked it off in June. So there's a, the whole bit of, you know, 
educating people about it and what it means, etc. Um, so by the, this season, we've got an average of 7.4 hectares per scheme, and we're projected to do. Hold on, let me get the right column. Uh, one and a half thousand hectares at the moment is what the forecast is. Yeah. And then that 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 you know that comes to quite a lot of money. That that's about eleven million pounds when when you add it all up. So a lot of money going into this. Um, and you know we've got quite a lot of money going into the additionality as well. The um, the, the river eye and the, the access the the the, um, the biodiversity places as well yeah and who is eligible to sign up to the offer anybody who's got more than a hectare okay <laughs> yeah pretty broad and yeah. um in terms of um adding to the scheme are there any plans in the pipeline to you know do anything for existing woodland maintenance because i'm obviously aware that this is to do with creation so Very i wondered question those farmers yeah, with trees and land yeah it's a really good question and actually it's a focus of our effort is that while we're looking at the growing more trees and growing growing uh, new ones that's which is really important but equally we've got to look after and manage properly the woods that we've got and only about 59 percent of the woods in england are managed and there's a lot that can be done through this and actually we are looking at how that can be incorporated into the elm scheme and how we can do woodland management and <laughs> You know, by doing that, actually, the, the landowner can get money for the timber. Uh, they can also end up with um, a, a better biodiversity outcome. So at the moment, um, we're working through those management plans and there's, there's nothing in this particular package that's doing that. But there is coming over the horizon as part of the LM to say we ought to be asking landowners, land managers to look after their woods better. How can we incentivize that? And so that's something that's in development. We haven't got it there yet. Um, and we intend to put that in as part of ELM. Fantastic. I know quite a few farmers will be happy to hear that. In terms of farmer feedback, you said, you know, you're six months in, you're kind of collecting farmer feedback and how to improve the scheme. Have you found any issues from farmers um, in terms of why they aren't signing up? Well, I think I characterise this as it's behavioural change. This is a big step for anybody to make that decision to say, am I going to take that land out of um, production, whatever that production may be? And, and as I, I emphasize, we're talking about the marginal land, but I'm going to take it out of production and plant trees. One of the issues that we know that is out there is some is, is being debated. Uh, I'm not sure whether it will change, but it's we're, we're talking about a permanent land use change. And so, you know, you, a crop of spruce you might be lucky to get out of 60 70 years but if you're talking hardwood that's hundreds of years and so how does a, a, a farmer decide that actually i'm going to take the big step and take that field that was whatever it was and we're going to plant trees and that's that's generations and so inevitably we're not necessarily seeing everybody sign up really quickly. It's a long-term decision, and it's quite right that people do take some time to think about it. But I hope once they consider the amount of money involved, and frankly, the way that the uh, subsidy scheme, the, the environmental land management schemes are going in the future, actually, for the marginal agriculture, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
And what other um, projects are in the pipeline for the Forestry Commission going forward? Well, we've got all, all sorts of projects um, in the pipeline. I talked about the um, Urban Challenge, uh, Urban Trees Challenge Fund, Local Authority Challenge Fund. Those, those are the uh, important ones. Getting woods into management, another important one. But a, a huge amount of effort is going on to woodland creation. And to be frank, we need to focus on that and deliver that before we start doing too much more. But equally, we need to make sure that those woods that we've got, only 59% are being managed properly. We've got to do better on that as well. So that's what we're looking at. But, you know, we're growing. We've got a lot of uh, new staff coming in and we need to make sure that we consolidate and deliver what we've been set to do before we start looking too more broadly about any more we can do. But, you know, what we're doing is expanding the woods we've got, protecting and improving, sorry, expanding those that we need more, protecting and improving we've got, and also the connecting with people. It's really important that we understand that this isn't just for carbon capture, it's also for biodiversity. And we mustn't underestimate the mental health benefits of trees and woods. And there was a very interesting report done by Forest Research just before Christmas. And that said that um, in last year, people going into woods saved the system, the healthcare and, and all that sort of stuff by £141 million. Pounds. Uh, wow. that, was in, that was in England. It was 184 across the UK. So we mustn't underestimate the importance of people connected to nature, connected to woods and connected to countryside. And I think that's a really important part of this. Mm -hmm. And what would you say to farmers listening um, in terms of encouraging them to get involved? Why would you get involved? There's a whole raft of benefits that this brings with it. And I think it's a step change. It's a change of what they may have done before. But actually, there are so many benefits that this can provide by having woods on your land. Um, it, it's going to help a the bottom line for the business because there's quite a lot of money behind this. It will help nature recovery, can help water quality, reducing flood risk. And there's quite a lot of money for riparian buffers and so on. Uh, if they want to do public access, there's more money for that as well. And actually, it's another string to their bow. It's a bit, a bit more diversification. And I've been uh, to visit some interesting um, schemes that are out there, some of which are purely to help supplement and complement the agriculture that's going on. I've met a farmer in Northumberland who's doing it actually to give his sheep shade in the summer. Mm. And another chap up, up in that region who's clearly, his clear aim is to do it to diversify and to have a bit more uh, tourism and visitors and, and having some some camping and some um, shepherd huts and so on. So it's all part of diversification of what the offer is on that farm. Mm -hmm. And how can farmers get involved? Is there a website that they can visit to find out more information? Absolutely. There's a website and I'm sure Phoebe will send you the link uh, to make sure you've got that. And that's actually just being launched uh, as we speak uh, called Plant for the Future. And uh, it's much better than what we've had before. Very clear as to, you know, the money you can get for planting the trees, how you can get help. And we're doing a lot of help as a, a woodland creation planning grant. So our woodland officers will go along with the, the landowner, with a farmer and say, OK, this is the best way, the best way to design this wood, the best way to develop it. And that will then speed through the system once the application goes in. So once the UK application is put in, if you've had the planning grant, it'll save a lot of time. And it's fair to say, you know, we've all been feeling our way a bit with this and we are ironing out the, the wrinkles in the system to make it a lot quicker. It's not the quickest uh, process. We have to go through all sorts of legal issues. So it's about five to six months 
before the, the mm -hmm. permission before the spade can go in the ground. But in fact, if you look at the planting seasons, that works pretty well. Yeah, fits in with nature. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Richard. For any listeners who'd like to know more about the England Woodland Creation Offer, such as rates of payment and how to apply, you can visit fginsight.com to read our full interview or alternatively visit the Forestry Commission's website. Last week, pig prices plummeted to their lowest level since March 2021, and there is real concern about the contracting national pig herd. Kate Morgan, a Yorkshire pig farmer and co-founder of the Save British Bacon campaign, tells me more. What's the situation at present? How are farmers on the ground feeling? Pretty desperate, um, if I'm honest. The situation is probably the worst it's been. Um, with Christmas just happening, it's always quite tough. And January's renowned for not being able to move many pigs. And that with COVID and the butchers, yeah, it's really quite desperate on farm. Mm -hmm. And how are farmers on the ground feeling? I think everybody's really depressed, um, really struggling with coping on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. You know, we're all... We're all exhausted, I think, is the bottom of it. We're all trying our hardest to look after our animals. And, yeah, we're, all we're trying to do is fulfil our contract. And it just get, keeps getting thrown back in our face. Mm. And what other things are happening to farmers? Well, it's, I'm aware that, you know, inflation is one issue. Um, uh, far, pig farmers seeing that? Yeah, I mean, everybody is, aren't they? Um our costs are obviously going up. Um, our feed costs are crippling us. But you know what? That is that is our commercial risk. Like George mm -hmm. Eustace is very confused with what commercial risk is because our feed price is going up and the pig price being really low. We cope with that. We that is a point of uh, peaks and troughs in the pig in pig industry, and we can cope with that. But mm -hmm. this, the fact that we can't get our contracted number into the abattoir, that is not our um, commercial risk, you know, mm -hmm. the fact that the abattoir haven't got their staff is not our fault, and we should not be dealing with the, the uh, knock-on effects of that. It's mm -hmm. crippling us. Yeah, are the processors working well with producers to kind of solve this issue? Um, I don't, I don't think that they know what's happening tomorrow. Let alone being able to mm -hmm. work with producers to be quite honest um they yeah they've got major backlogs and i don't think that they can see how many pigs they're going to kill tomorrow let alone going forward and how to clear the mm -hmm. backlog doesn't fill you with much confidence does it not at all and you know if we'd all been talking if the whole supply chain had been talking right from the start of this then a lot of producers would have made different uh, decisions and, you know, we probably would have been in a better place. But as it is, there's been no communication throughout the supply chain. Mm -hmm. I noticed that the National Pig Herd is contracting massively. Are you aware of uh, any producers leaving the industry and what kind of impact will this have? Yeah, there's uh, a lot of producers that are leaving the industry, which is really sad. Um, whether this will have an impact like a lack of uh, pork on the market, I'm not entirely sure because our average weight now, the industry's average weight is 95, nearly 96 kilos of uh, average carcass. Well, that used to be about 85. Mm. So that extra 10 kilos per pig 
more than makes up for the loss of sales in the in the uh, on the market. So I yeah, they can wipe each other out. I think the fact that we do need less pigs on the ground, yet they're so much heavier, it kind of wipes out the benefit. If that doesn't sound really selfish. Yeah. No, completely. And you mentioned before how the government hasn't really responded to calls for help. Um, what kind of response have you had? Um, we are really, really, really trying hard to get a hold of Victoria Prentice and George Eustace. Um, I've written letters to them stating what's happening on my farm and I've had no reply at all. You know, they keep saying that they're speaking to industry. Well, they're not speaking to the industry at all. They're speaking to two-thirds of the supply chain, but they're not speaking to the people that are taking the brunt of this. Mm-hmm. They are not speaking to the farmers that are on the ground that are living through this hell. And that is what the NPA, the NFU, are trying to get. They're trying to get them round the table with producers, with processors and with retailers, because unless we start talking, we're not going to get through this. Mm-hmm. And if you got the opportunity to talk to them, what would you like to say to them? What kind of things would you like to ask for help? Well, I'd like to, I'd like to find out how they think that this is my commercial risk. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to know how they think that what contingency plan I could possibly have put into place for this situation. And then going forward, I'd like to know how they envisage this panning out because if the processors are saying that they need more butchers, yet they can't get them in, then mm-hmm. how are we ever going to get over this situation? Is it the fact that the processors haven't got any butchers? Is it the fact that there's no demand for the product, you know? This is all the cost is going on the farmer, and it's not the farmer's fault. And I do believe that we should be getting some form of help, just like they have done in Scotland and they have done in Ireland. Mm-hmm. I, like, forget about everything. The emotional side of this has just been draining, and I don't quite know how we're all still still doing what we're doing, to mm. be quite honest. And where do you see the industry in six months' time? Do you think we're still going to carry on seeing this crisis unless they pull the finger out and solve it? Um, I really hope we're not still in this crisis because I think there won't be any family farmers left if we're still in this crisis. Um, Different industry experts say different things. They say that... Uh, the backlog's going to be shifted by March kind of time, but I really can't see that at the moment because we were cut back 30% week on week since Christmas. Mm. So, you know, how are we going to see the end of the backlog? I don't know. But let's hope that demand picks up. And, yeah, there is a bit of a shortage of pigs on the market. So hopefully in six months' time, I'd like to think that we are in a stronger position. Mm-hmm. Pig price has gone up, hopefully. Um and yeah, well, if we're not, then who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> well, that's it for this week's podcast. We'll be back next week with more of the latest farming news and interviews. Stay safe and we'll see you then.